Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Y'all got kids. Kids are annoying, right? Because they ask a ton of questions. You know, so Ebonics has become like a joke for the last 20, 25 years, 30 years. Um, Again, it's, it's something that grabs you right at the pit of who you are. You know what I mean? Because it's coming from um, an authentic, and, and in most in most uh, cases, coming from a place of... You're listening to The Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Ernie Thomas here on the Vol School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Vaughner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. All right, and we're live. <laughs> What's up, Sherry? How you doing, brother? Hey, All right. Fly Guys Podcast, the home of conscious melanated conversations where we deal with situations we need to improve and things that we need to consider uh, within the black community. And disclaimer, when we use the term black, we're not stupid. We don't believe that we're literally the color black. We're not talking about a crayon color. We're not talking about legal status. We're not talking about a country, a city, a nation, a state called black, a plant called black. Um, so all the woke, you know, level one wokeness stuff, you know, we're good with that. We're good with that, all right? It's the uh, commonly term used to describe people of African descent, Aboriginal people, indigenous people, people, first people of the planet. So uh, copper skinned people in Turtle Island, all that stuff. We're good. We're Gucci. We're good, okay? So I have my man Bashiri, and uh, I want to introduce Bashiri. He's a really interesting brother. Bashiri and his lovely wife created something called Black Brand, which is the Hampton Rose Black Chamber of Commerce. And I tell you, this organization is doing a lot of great things in our area of Hampton Roads, Virginia. And I thought it would be great to bring him on because as we talk about economics and uplift, he and his family are involved in economics and uplift. Uh, I'm a Black Brand member as well. So, hey, uh, Bashiri, man, um, say a few words about what got you to starting Black Brand, and then we're going to jump right into the topic. Um, yeah, I can do that. Um, again, I'm Bashiri Durham, president and co-founder of Hampton Roads, the regional Black Chamber of Commerce, Black Brand. Um, and basically what um, initiated us in these efforts just to get working and busy in this space, um, for me, was just looking at the uh, just the history of the marginalization and the, the uh, systematic uh, oppression of black folks in America and understanding that the only way that we could even have a fighting chance is to galvanize and organize our economic import and so if we're going to um write our own check you know if we're going to uh, facilitate and orchestrate uh, what's necessary for our own liberation we got to get the bread and so we after the bag you know that's basically what it is all right cut the check get the bag get the money uh yeah all of that a salute to all the fly folk who are checking in 
peace, love, and light. Bless up, bless up. Love having all the fly folk in the room. The fly folk are the people who follow the Fly Guys podcast. And we're doing some great things. We're doing some great things. So, when we deal with economic uplift, when we deal with social uplift, when we deal with political uplift, language is a really strong part, it's a component of uplift. And so today we wanted to just chat on the use of, you know, um, Ebonics, Ebony Phonics. And I come from the standpoint that we should value all of our creations. So whatever we've created, we should value it. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the best tool we should use at all times, but I believe that we should value everything that we create. And the issue with Ebonics was that you know, some researchers identified some linguistical, uh, some linguistic patterns that people of African descent were continuing and said, hey, it looks like there's a, a definite phonic system here. Let's uh, let's take this term black English and, you know, use this term ebony phonics to kind of define it. And once we have this in place, we can go to the federal government and say, uh, because of this particular linguistic pattern, we need additional funds to make sure that these students also mastered standard English. And then it was crazy to me that the, you know, the, the advanced, the educated or the educated black community went crazy and really demeaned one of our creations. And, you know, so Ebonics has become like a joke for the last 20, 25 years, 30 years. Um, I believe we should value everything that we create and just use it at the right term, at the right time, rather. I'm a little congested, a little sick today. I ate too much candy. I'm paying for it. So, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Ebonics, bro? Um, Not to kill the chat, you know what I mean, by too much agreement, but I'm right on par and on board with um, your present assessment of Ebonics. Um, I'm always cognizant and aware of... Um, the context in which black folk um, have to utilize their ingenuity in the space of survival. You know what I'm saying? And um, how of necessity we had to be creative and um, we really had to use ingenuity uh, to navigate very treacherous territory and spaces. And so... Um, I'm, I'm reminiscent of uh, the souls of black folk. You know what I mean? And uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, when he's talking about um, this this two-souled entity, you know, being the black man, the black woman, and how just by that dogged strength, um, how we're able to maintain integrity of our constitution. You know what I'm saying? And... Um, I think that, like you say, uh, whatever we create and whatever is native and indigenous to um, that spark that lends itself towards um, our sustenance, towards our survival, towards our being able to, again, navigate treacherous spaces well, I think we ought to celebrate, I think we ought to value, I think we ought to hold in high esteem and um, it's interesting that we've always had the challenge or the choice to assimilate, right? 
Right. Get get along with the dominant space, right? Or uh, or rebel. You know what I mean? And 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 in most cases, it meant to die. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you rebelled, it, it could cost you your life. And so, um, what I learned from that book is that there was always an undercurrent. And there was always a subculture where, okay, we had the two faces. We had the one face we showed the dominant community, and then we had another face that we showed to each other that was uh, more true to the spirit of who we were, who we are. Um, yeah, that's like that mask that Paul, Paul Lawrence Dunbar talks about. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. And I think those who those who are of melanated descent. African descent here in the diaspora who criticize that aspect of who we are, that quality of who we are. Um, I think I think they do so to their own peril. You know what I mean? Because um, again, they denigrate something unique and something special and something that's that's been forged kind of in the furnace of. You know what I mean? Uh, oppression, and it's it's. I think it speaks to our uh, ability to be resilient. You know I mean, I would agree. You know, one of the people, one of the fly folks in the chat left a message. I'm going to read it. Roger, I might pronounce his last name incorrectly, so I'm just going to say Roger G. He said we need to stay smart and segregated from those who do not appreciate us, and. I think one of the great things about having an own linguistic system is it allows us to remain separate while integrated. You know, I've been on an elevator before. Thank you, Roger, for that comment. I've been on an elevator before where when I got on the elevator, there were a group of people and they looked at me and then they started speaking in a, a different language. And while we were all together, you know, while I said hi, they said hello, whatever, they still communicated in a in a different manner where they were able to stay embraced and I was an outsider but we were in the same space and it wasn't it wasn't um, any animosity it wasn't any anger they just valued what they had and like uh, Mazelle Sanders says we lost our values and morals somewhere in between chasing those bags that's an interesting point um, wow that's an interesting point so oh for those who are listening on the audio version, we're going to read many of the comments that are given by the fly folk who tap in. And so, yeah, salute that. If you have a comment, tap it in, and we're going to include that in the conversation. Uh, one of our other fly folks said, we lost our languages. We lost our language. And now, in many ways, we're, we're pulling it back with our creation. Um, how can we use this to our empowerment? There are a lot of people who think that using a different linguistic system disenfranchises us from America, but can it empower us? I'm dealing with a lot of interesting things because, like, you're seeing the uh, the comments. I'm seeing them too. Um, again, I think. Okay, just to speak broadly, you know what I mean? And not to be sectarian in any kind of a way um, at this point. Um, 
I think it's part of the human genius to survive, to thrive. You know what I'm saying? And to um, to use what's ever available to further that interest and that end, right? Um, an example that most readily comes to mind is soul food, right? Now, you're taking the scraps and what's left over and then you're making something remarkable with it. You know what I'm saying? And while it may not be the best nutritional um, uh, diet that we can take, it's a slave diet. Nevertheless, when you're in a survival context, for you to for you to take what people would discard and then make something uh, damn near a delicacy out of it. Again, it speaks to just the genius of that survival spark. You know what I mean? And that that way that we can just kind of, in a chameleon-like fashion, use that, that creative impulse, again, to propel life forward. I think in the same way we do that with language. I think I saw somebody saying that they stripped us of our native tongue and they stripped us of culture. And then it's like, then we find ourselves, you know, strangers in a strange land. You know what I mean? To use the biblical right. imagery. And it's like, okay, what do we do to carve out a space that's uniquely ours? We we be who we, 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 be who we always been. You know what I mean? Which is uh, just creative geniuses, really. You know what I'm saying? From... Um, what we wear to how we say what we say when we say what we say the music you know all of it you know how we walk it's right. just it's in us to do that you know what I mean it is it is you know, you know one of the comments uh, Mizell Sanders said that rap was our language until it got infiltrated he further said that you know the hip hop and the rap in the 80s and 90s has substance um, you just mentioned that part of our cultural expression is in our language and it's you know it's shown really well in our music. One of the things that I think is interesting is even though I'm not a big fan of a lot of today's hip hop, mm -hmm. I do recognize that there's a creative spark in there. I do recognize that there's a swag, there's a drip, uh, to use the language. There's elements of creativity that that continually represents what's been the continuum in African people. You know, and it's still there. Uh, is it is it presented in a form that's allowing us to go to the next level? Not necessarily, but it's still there. You know, we haven't lost it. You know, we we talk about how we lost our culture, we lost our language, but it keeps popping up. Mm -hmm. it keeps it keeps showing up, and you know that's one of the things that I love about our people. So what I love finding out is different ways you've allowed the use of the vernacular to uplift your situation. Now, you and your wife have done some magnificent things with Black Bread, but I know you've done some magnificent things yourself as well. You know, so, you know, I mean, you're a great father. You have beautiful children. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how do we use our language, our cultural linguistic creations to uplift ourselves? Um, go ahead. Interesting, interesting. Rap is a spell word. <laughs> yo, these comments are lit. Um, <laughs> yo, like, yeah. To you, yo, to the fly folk point. are the best, man. The fly folk and the master students are the best. They come up with some of the great. 
comments and they, they really tap into and say some things. Like this one in particular, I wanted to highlight. Yeah, we should have our own language code, but will it be kept between us? Think of all the groups who've had theirs in which we really can't crack. How long before they infiltrate? Um, and one of the other persons said that, you know, we had our own until it was infiltrated and it was sold out by the traders. So we do have to deal with some race traders, some cultural traders, some uplift traders within the race, uh, within the culture, rather. Mm. But how have you been able to use linguistics to uplift your situation? I mean, um, language is power. You feel what I mean? Like you, um, you think a thing, you speak a thing, you create a mindset, you create um, habits and, and, and culture and behavior. And so, um, me personally, I've always been in love with, um, just the, uh, for lack of better terms, just the kind of the, the chemistry, if you will, um, that exists in the, the linguistic form, you know what I'm saying? And, um, I do poetry, you know what I'm saying? Um, I read widely, you know, um, and I think that language can just be used to open up different vistas of your mind. You know what I'm saying? Um, reminded of the autobiography of Malcolm X and how important it was for him to get a command of language. You know what I mean? And how he was able to use, again, language and speech to uh, the benefit of his people to open up their minds about the spaces that they occupy so they could see how um, even their creative genius was being used against their own interest. And now people are being uh, hypnotized uh, by their own ingenuity. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, it's, right, it's, right. It's crazy to me, like, like the... Um, how they use our own creative genius to keep us enslaved. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, we're seduced by things that we produce. And that's, <laughs> it's crazy to me. Man. Whoa, repeat that, bro. Repeat I, that. I, <laughs> I said we're, we're seduced. seduced. We're seduced by the thing, the very things that we produce because what we produce gets co-opted and then it gets corrupted. And then once it's introduced back to us, introduced in a way that will keep us confined, if you feel what I mean. And well, you know, one of our fly folks tapped in, uh, C. Croftus 99, noted that uh, if we change, if we create a language, you might change the narrative. So thinking about what you just stated, can we change the narrative with the use of our linguistic culture? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, there's an, there's an idiom that, that says um, until we can hear um, a story from the perspective of those persons who haven't had a chance to speak, you only you only hear about the history of those who win. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like it's so important that we uh, that we take ownership, number one of our own stories that we, like what you're doing right now, develop platforms where we can have authentic expression about our experiences, you know, um, 
and what it is that we have to do again to navigate in these different spaces uh, in the, in the context of oppression. You feel what I mean? And I think it's important that um, we're able to tell our own stories. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of the King holiday right now. You know what I'm saying? And how even his legacy has been co-opted by those people who hated him while he was alive, murdered him, sanitized him in death, and now they use him to promote, you know, um, their agenda. Right. You know, you know what? I've, I've seen that happen all the time. We look at King in a very small time period of King's life. Right. And that's all we focus on. And then we focus on, a, like, for instance, tomorrow, you know, today is, you know, King Sunday. So tomorrow is the day that we celebrate Martin Luther King, the honorable Martin Luther King's birthday. May his memory be a blessing. May his legacy continue to lead us. And we're going to hear the I Have a Dream segment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> segment. You're right. Over and over and over and over again. And then we're going to have people who are going to, you know, use terms like Prince of Peace and uh, uh, Drum Major for Justice. Mm-hmm. We're not going to hear about the Deacons for Defense. Nah. Yeah. All right. Right. So for the fly folk who are, are, aren't up on the Deacons of Defense, check out, you know, Google Deacons of Defense after the bloody Sunday that happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Uh, King and the other people he was working with because he wasn't working alone, you know, was able to contract with the Deacons of Defense to provide defensive strategies so that while the marches happened and the messages were being shown, we weren't being killed. You know, we don't, they don't talk about that. Uh, and I understand why. You know, Dr. King was working on a boycott of Christmas spending. <laughs> so it wasn't when he was fighting for a right to vote or fighting for civil rights when he was killed, but he starts working on a boycott of Christmas spending. Yeah. He shot. He shot. Now, one of the great things about Dr. King is he was a great linguistic. He used the language of the time, the really popular language of the time. So, look, here in America, we don't speak English. We speak uh, American English. Mm-hmm. And those of us of African descent, we have taken that American English and we've even manipulated it some as well. Dr. King was a great orator. And the great thing about our hip-hop artists and our, you know, R&B artists, our soul artists, our jazz artists, is they've been great orators for our struggle and our situation as well. So, uh, you know, we had, ooh, I love this comment. This comment says whitewashing. We have been dealing with a lot of whitewashing, and I think that's one of the things that happens. So when one of us rises up like Dr. King rose up, his history, his legacy, his message definitely has been whitewashed. What else has been whitewashed? You know, that's interesting. Uh, Another channel mentioned that we don't even deal with the full speech. Just that part. That part (laughs) is known (laughs) as uh, 
you know, that part of the speech, everything he said before I have a dream was killer. That laid out an economic plan. That laid out a political plan, a, a social plan. But the I have a dream part was aspirational. And that's the part that seems to be gravitating towards. But we're not talking about Dr. King today. Yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about Dr. King today. Uh, today we're talking about the use of our linguistic patterns to empower ourselves. So mm-hmm. you say you use poetry. I do. But um, I know we're not talking about Dr. King, but we are talking about um, linguistic and oratorical mastery. And he, he had that. He was very proficient. And I'm thinking of the fact that he came from a context of sacred speech and, and black sacred speech for that, for that matter. And with black sacred speech, you have this improvisational quality that you kind of depart from the lexicon and the written text and you get into this jazz moment, you know, especially among black preachers where it's called a hoop, you know what I'm saying? And it's almost like sung speech and you, you're you pulling from pure inspiration at that point. It's almost like freestyling in hip hop, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I think that um, when you're talking about how we are able to take uh, was standardized and used this kind of vernacular kind of a thing um, and uh, some people uh, will, will categorize it as being vulgar but it's more so about cutting to the chase you know what I mean like getting right to the core of a thing getting right to the core of an issue you know what I'm saying without all of the the pomp and the circumstance and the pageantry that might come with a more formal discourse you know you had you had this um again it's something that grabs you right at the pit of who you are you know what I mean because it's coming from um, an authentic and, and in most in most uh, cases coming from a place of pain you know what I'm saying uh, coming from a place of urgency and I think that um, uh, what we see in hip hop what we see in Ebonics even when it when it first started these folks were speaking about urgent circumstances you know what I mean right 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 you know when I think of the um, the, the the Furious Five you know what I'm saying don't push me I'm close to the end. like we're talking about something that's now you know what I mean so we gotta we don't have time for all of the niceties and all of the you know like I said all of the uh, flowery language you know what I'm saying I gotta give it to you hard and raw so you can understand the the uh, the pain that's coming up behind what I'm articulating to you you know, it's kind of interesting that uh, <clears throat> when you look at some of the early hip hop groups, and you know, I'm I'm older, you know, mm-hmm. I'm older. I hit, I hit the uh, you know Big Five One this year. That's what's up. And so, listening to some of the early N Word Twins and early Rocksteady, Funky Four Plus One More. You know, Grandmaster Fashion, The Furious Five, Treacherous Three, Cold Crush Brothers. Listen to stuff like that, man. Uh, Busy B, Spony G. That oratorical style mm-hmm. would take standard English, use a little bit of what we might call slang or vernacular, 
and from time to time implement an ebonics approach. But the great thing is, it was always mixing everything up. Mm-hmm. And we got messages across that we got messages across that everybody. And I think now we're in a space for true empowerment. Twenty twenty is a is a because of the big influence and the big interest that's going to be on, you know, either keeping Trump in office or putting somebody else in office. We're in a very particular space where we can influence and use our power. And so now we need to start telling each other messages on how we're going to approach this, you know, and this is simply from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. So the hashtags, the conversations, the songs, I believe we need to push the agenda that if you don't support and if you don't vow to do what we want you to do, we're not voting top ticket. We're just not voting. And that's where I'm kind of moving towards. And so we're in a situation where we can use our our ebony phonics, our ebonics, our our street slang, whatever Mm -hmm. we want to call it. Mm-hmm. And we can really use this time to empower ourselves politically. We can also use this time to empower ourselves, empower ourselves economically and socially. Mm-hmm. And so, the great thing about our creativity, our creativity is we can always use our creativity to overcome things that are holding us down. Mm-hmm. And I just can't wait to see. Oh. What's up, Linda? I can't wait to see the things that we use, the things that we create, the move, the movement, the moments, and the words that we use to take this empowerment opportunity and really make it happen. Absolutely. Like while you were talking, it reminded me of uh, just the revolutionary and subver- subversive culture that we had to cultivate. Again, I can't overstate as a matter of survival. When you think of um, the Negro spirituals and how they were singing songs, but telling you how to get out of that kind of uh, terrible situation that we're in, you know, we're in bondage and we're enslaved, but then again, we're going to use our artistic import and our creative ingenuity to communicate a revolutionary message. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think again, uh, hip hop has that strain in it. I think Ebonics has that strain where um, it's not it's not just about sounding cool. You know what I'm saying? It's not just about even being hip either. Again, it was always about communis- communicating something via code, coded speech, so that you could get a clear message to the audience that it resonated with. While um, cloaking it from, you know, these outside agencies and um, communities and even a, a whole system that benefited from the slow death and the, uh, the, the, uh, the deficits, you know what I'm saying, or the denigration of, of an entire people. And so, again, language has always been revolutionary, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and the oppressive system knows that, which is why they wanted us not to be able to read. They don't want you to be educated. I don't want you to expand your mind. I don't want you to cultivate language because once you start cultivating language, you can you can start creating um, plans and documents. And you know what I'm saying? And then it's not just you uh, using your oratorical ability. 
Now you're writing things down and you can pass those written things down in a way that would be more comprehensive and sometimes um, even more robust than just on the fly kind of a thing. And that would be more beneficial for the people that would come up behind you. It's like, oh, let me pick them and read. Oh, shoot. This, this is the vibe. Oh, this is the plan. This is the direction. I'm thinking of now, like, um, my wife and I with the organization, you know, Black Brand, we have a hundred year plan. You know what I'm saying? Because we, because, because we know that what we're doing, endeavoring to do now, we probably won't see it in its, in its fullest expression in our lifetime. But the reason uh, we have hope is because we can write something down and pass it on and have that transmission through time so that our progeny and the people coming after us will have something to, oh, okay, this is the direction that we need to head in. You feel what I mean? That's right. language. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, Kim, Kim Possible, I think that's a fly name. Kim Possible made the point that Ebonics wasn't a secret language. Um... That's an interesting point. We're probably going to have to get back to that. Hmm? We're probably going to have to get back to that. I do think that we have a particular opportunity to take this opportunity, to take this time to really do some things that are going to empower us. And so one of the things that I want to deal with with Ebonics is does it empower us or is it disempowering to us? And if you talk to most educators, they're going to say that we're disempowered by the use of ebonics and other linguistical you know, patterns. I don't think we are. What do you think? Uh, again, man, I think um, I think we are in a peculiar situation as children of the diaspora again in the context of oppression where um, you have your oppressors who are writing the terms and, and conditions of what uh, life and the pursuit of happiness to use a phrase out of, out of the documents looks like you know what I'm saying and so when you have the people who have you in bondage framing what's supposed to what it is to be good what it is to be appropriate, what it is to be acceptable. Um, well, then you find yourself in a, a precarious scenario because, okay, if I play by your rules, your definition of happiness and health might actually mean depression and death for me. Okay, so um, I've got to, I gotta, I gotta use my wits, I gotta use prudence, I gotta use wisdom, and I've got to be able, again, to hold intention like Dubois, that two-soul thing, you know what I'm saying? Well, I have I have the common sense to know your game, beat you at it, right? But then I also have the integrity of self to use what I've the game that I'm using uh, to navigate well in your space to propel me forward and my people forward in the spaces that we'd like to go. You know what I mean? And I don't think that um, Ebonics is a detriment to that. You know what I'm saying? I think right. I think it's a necessity again um, to have your own um, cultural uh, 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 furniture, for lack of a better term, that's hmm. going to assist you. You know what I'm saying? In your endeavors to to to, to carve out a space that's uniquely yours and that can't be touched unless you give it away you know what I'm saying you, unless you sell out um, by these people who again 
are trying to craft and trying to frame your narrative for their benefit against your collective interest. You know, so I think you and I both agree that it's something that's valuable and that can be used to uplift. Queen Mother Shay is in the room. What's up, Queen Mother Shay? <laughs> Shay. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. It's good. Uh, with, her, with her true Hamptonian spirit, she's going to be the dissenting view. <laughs> I don't know about dissenting. I, I think it's a level of... It's an extra perspective. So, so I don't disagree that... Y'all know I missed the whole first half of this. But I don't disagree that um, Ebonics, African-American, vernacular English, Black English is valuable. I, 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 it is a cultural dialect, right? The problem I have is... A lot of our community is monolingual. And Black English is all that they speak. And so to act like we don't exist, exactly what uh, <laughs> exactly what Bashiri was just saying. We have to navigate in the place that we're in. Right? So until we get to the point where we have our own and we can really and truly support each other and support our economy um, without any other infrastructure, you have to be bilingual. And our kids and a lot of our community is not able to use both currencies. They're only talking in Black English slash Ebonics slash A-A-V-E. Um, slash what? They, slash what? A-A-V-E. African American Vernacular English. Oh, okay. That, that's they what an educator is They can't decide <laughs> on a term. So, um, so I work, you know, our organization does literacy, right? We do reading. So there are several levels to reading. There's language. Language, spoken language is the beginning of reading well. Okay? Hmm. When you talk to your kids, they learn words. So then when they see the word, they understand it. They have a place to put it in their brain file system. We're working with kids who are struggling because they've never heard of these words. I have kids who can read, but they can't comprehend anything because they don't have the background knowledge or the vocabulary to fit in the information they're getting into a context. The textbooks that we use are not written by people speaking Black English. They're written by master's degree level professionals. And this is the standard that our kids are tested and judged on. You cannot succeed in a culture if you don't speak the language. 
We call it talking country. Yeah, it is. Um, and so, so that's my perspective. We're setting our kids up for failure. We're setting our community up for failure. And they have co-opted our language and they do control uh, the output through our media because we're not controlling our own media either. And so now black people have a language, but it's just hood language. And that's all it's associated with. All right. Leave it to my fellow Hamptonian Shay to bring up some points. <laughs> it's dope, man. Uh, <laughs> all right. If you like what Shay said, then I'm putting there Shay all day. Shay all day. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and see, I, I like how you've taken the conversation a little further. So we all value what we've created, but you're saying that we also need to be able to operate in the space where we operate. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we all need to have a command over standard English. Yeah. And I think we all agree on that. As a matter of fact, uh, just listening to us, linguistically, we all use standard English well, and we just kind of pepper it, salt and pepper it. You know, we, we flavor our conversation. Right. Like season. I was listening to Bashiri talk, and I was like, oh, he's using all the big words. Nah. While he's talking about Ebonics. <laughs> <laughs> But that's you know, Seiko, that's to my other point though. That's the jazz of what we can do linguistically. You know what I'm saying? We can like the standard English is like the sheet music. You feel what I'm saying? But then we throw in the abonics, it's like we improvising now. We taking it to another, you know, another space. It's musical for us, you know. That's us, that's who we are. We you know, that's we got this rhythm thing going. And uh, you know, I don't think Shay is saying you know, deny that aspect of who we are, but it's almost, it's in conjunction with what I've been saying in terms of we find ourselves in the precarious context of oppression and everything that we do, we have to navigate or keep in mind the intent that we have to subvert the impression that we find ourselves in, you know what I'm saying? And just be prudent and wise in how we're doing it. Salute to Jomo Jenkins, Queen Shay all day, yes. Thank you, Brother Jomo. The whole fact. Um, so how do we yeah. teach our children this? Uh, Miss 360 Citizen Queen Shay, how do we teach our children this? So I think this is the this is the hard this is the hard part, right? Because in order to teach our children this, we have to teach our parents this. And I don't know if you've ever tried to tell black parents what to do with their kids. <laughs> But you have to tread very lightly. And I understand it. I Like, I understand why. Because just like their kids are growing up being told they're wrong, they grew up being told they're wrong. And they're defensive. And I'm not mad about that. They get discounted. They get told, oh, no, you're just imagining it. You're making this up. You know how many black parents are fighting for their kids in schools and the schools are trying to shut them down? They don't want to hear it. And I understand that. And it, and we've been positioned that talking a certain way and doing certain things. That's not, that's not what black people do. Black people don't do that. Black people don't talk like that. You muted, bro. Yeah, you got the little mute thing in the Bible. 
Uh, thank, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm running things, and I'm, I'm running things incorrectly. As I was growing up, I had in my mind a set, and, and I was exposed to a lot of great things, but I also had a set of limits in my mind on my blackness. So I had a French class, and I, I didn't take it seriously because I was like, black people don't speak French. You know, <laughs> I had an opportunity to go to France, which would have expanded my concept of the world. Black people don't go to France. So as much as I was exposed to, I still had a limit around my my, my mentality, my understanding. And it, it, it's what you described, Shay, are those limits. And our parents are struggling with those limits. And it's weird because I was reading. So if y'all haven't read it, please read The Miseducation of the Negro. So I'm reading it. Great book. Written in 1931, I believe. And Carter G. Woodson is referring to all of this knowledge that the way he discusses it was common knowledge among black people. And he talks about like um, knowledge from being overseas. A lot of our um, a lot of our great historical figures they were global. We were global. And somehow we've gotten away from that. Hmm. How have we gotten away from it? How? That's what, what I want. got at this point. I always blame integration, but I feel like it has to be more than that. But I feel like that was that was the starting point. I think media, I think you you hit the nail on the head as soon as you got on the line. Like again, we don't we don't control massive media platforms. Again, we don't get to um, curate the narrative and tell the story from our perspective. And so when you got oppressive people controlling those channels, they're going to, uh, again, um, cultivate the story in a way that perpetuates what they need us to be for their own benefit. So they need us to be limited. They need us to be, um, you know, kind of stuck and myopic, you know, in certain aspects of our development. We need to be stagnant. We need to be underdeveloped. You know, we need to be able to think that, oh, black people don't do fill in the blank. When in reality, we daggone civilize the whole world, the whole planet. You know what I'm saying? You know, Doc, Dr. Ben will let you know that. You check him out. So it's just, you know, again, what we're contending with, we always have to keep the context that this is an oppressive scenario. The oppressors want to keep in their mind that they're not really oppressing people, right? Um, and uh, at, well, at the same time, keeping the people that they oppress in the in the mindset that they're limited and so they deserve or their natural state is to be ruled and never rule uh is to be led and never lead you know what i mean is to be fed and never feed themselves or learn how to do for you know so this this is the context we're in man it's a war and, and it's a war of words you know what? Interesting. There's a war going on outside. Nobody's safe from. A lot of people have been saying you sound like Prodigy. Oh. <laughs> Salute to the king. King P. 
Rest in power, dog. Rest in power. Rest in power. Rest in power. Well, Shay, I, I, I love where you were going. You know, and our parents sometimes are preventing our progress. So what can we do so that our parents actually provide access to progress instead of impeding it? So my current theory, and let me know if y'all can't hear me because my sound sounds weird now. I got a call and it sounds weird. Anyway, um, my current theory is it's a combination of showing and teaching, right? So showing the importance of language and education and reading. And at the same time, teaching parents in a very non-confrontational way that this is important to what their goals are. I don't know too many parents who don't want their kids to succeed. Um, I don't know too many parents who aren't working for their kids to be successful. But I do know a lot of parents who have no idea what that looks like. And they don't know how to get there. All right, so then that begs the question, what does it look like? How do we get there? See? It looks... Okay. I was going to give it to Bashir, but I actually... This this is all I think about all day. Cliche. Um, Cliche all day, cliche all day, cliche all day. It it looks like success for kids looks like them being curious. And so this is this is I think the very beginning of learning, right? They're curious, they ask a lot of questions. Y'all got kids, kids are annoying, right? Because they ask a ton of questions. But to, to keep them interested in learning, you answer their questions. You teach them how to find the answers to their questions. You teach them that they are worth um, responding to. You teach them that, yeah, the teacher said such and such, but is that true? Not so much just to question authority, but to learn to examine things for themselves. Right? And so a successful child becomes an adult who can navigate their own world in confidence. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Bashiri, uh, what does it look like? How do we get there? It's interesting um, when you when you're speaking about the inquisitive nature of children, and I looked at my boy and um, like the the sense of awe in his eyes when he learns something new and something clicks. You know what I'm saying? That's joy for me. You know what I mean? And um, um, I think introducing our young people to different vantage points, and it, and if you can't travel, give them a book that opens their minds in different ways. So, like, imagination is so important. You know what I'm saying? Um, Almost more important than textbook intellect. You know what I mean? Because imagination, um, while you're looking for 
you know, text will end it like you're looking for sequence. You know what I'm saying? Imagination, like, might help you to see how everything is interconnected. And then you, it's not really so much about sequence, but you're looking at placement and things of that sort. Um, I think, man, we just got to be aware that even factual information um, can be used politically to promote falsehood. You know what I mean? And so there's a difference between, again, facts and the truth. And um, I think we got to pull the coattails of, of course, our parents, particularly our, our young people, about, about how, again, how we're being fed information is not... It's not in a vacuum, you know. There are people that have their hands, just like on our food. They have our hands on these things that we're blindly trusting that, oh, they're going to nourish us. No, they're not going to nourish you. They're going to give you something that, that'll keep you needing them. And you'll... Exactly. And you never develop or become oriented or confident in self enough to go beyond what it is that they package and make very convenient for you. You know what I'm saying? That's the other That's the other thing that ties us up. Um, we get stuck on the convenience of the poison. We don't want to get into the work of getting nutritional value. We're not just beyond food. We're not talking to just food. We don't want to get into the work of, of, of really uh, digging deep. You know what I'm saying? And going on these excavations of, of wow. knowledge. That reminds me, uh, this weekend, my wife and I came home and we both sat down. We both had long days. And we looked at each other and the question was, what are we going to eat? I don't want to cook. Let's <clears throat> order a pizza. <laughs> so it was a convenience piece that led to our misnutrition. Our, we, we weren't, you know, we weren't, we didn't get anything that nourished our body. It tasted good, um, but it wasn't nourishing. And so the convenience of just ordering a pizza led us to a situation where our health has been negatively impacted. That's what's happening in the schools. It's easier to give your child a cell phone or turn on Netflix than to do the hard work of teaching them how to read. That's what the teacher is supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do with school. Mm. Well, I mean, to be fair, yeah, no, that is what school is supposed to do. Like, we have set it up where you have to send your kids to school unless you have enough money to be able to keep them home. Except you didn't educate anybody in a way so that most people can support themselves in a way that they can keep their kids at home. And so most kids go to public school. Mm. And now that's just the default. We go to public school. And the school is supposed to teach kids how to read. Like, that's their job. Unfortunately, they're not doing their job. And for some reason, it is perfectly okay that more than half of our kids can't read. Mm. And for Black students, it's more than 70% of our kids who can't read. And when I say can't read, I don't mean can't read exactly. Like, they can read words, but they can't read for information. And so what would be the point 
of them reading, which is why you hear kids saying things like, read? I don't read. Mm. They're proud that they don't read. I I want to salute another channel who stated that folks teach their children what brand is best to wear before teaching them other things. Mm. Mm. But why do they do that? Why do they do that? It's convenient. Also, shout like out Bashiri said. Huh? Like Bashiri said, it's convenient. It's I don't easy. think it's just convenient. I think it's what they've been taught. When you can't find value and respect in other ways, you're gonna value and respect are human needs. We need to be respected by other people. Mm. And so how do you become respected when you don't own your own house? When you don't, you're not very well educated. You're not making a lot of money. You don't have a lot to show. Oh, but you got the latest iPhone. Your kids have the latest Jordan. They just want respect. They just want to show that, hey, look at me. I'm valuable too. It's a victim thing. I think like we've become so victimized and forfeited our prestige in such a way that vicarious victories are like real victories. So like rather than make my own name great, I feel like I have accomplished something in a ride by putting on somebody else's label or wearing somebody else's brand. You know what I'm saying? And then, again, you think of even the term brand and how that's connected to, you know, being branded. You know what I mean? Again, we're in the context of perpetual generational oppression. You know what I'm saying? And and these are just the symptoms of a greater issue. You know what I mean? And and, and, and to to a certain degree, although we want to talk about taking responsibility, of course we want to do that. Um... These things have been calculated. These things have been planned. You know what I mean? We're, we're living right now in this space, in the context of people who sat down and planned, okay, we need X amount of them to be dyslexic. We need X amount of them to be criminal. We need X amount of, you know what I'm saying? We need X amount of them um, to, ha- to be depressed. You know what I mean? And, and it just so happens when you don't take an active role about your own life and your destiny, you by default now start to embody and actually live out the death wishes of these oppressive uh, maniacal planners. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's either lead or be led. And, and see, I don't know how, I don't know how much I, I always hit this because I hear this from a lot of people. Like there are people who are very purposefully planning and intentionally doing these things. And I, I, I feel like those people are few and far between, but I feel like they're also um, able to continue a system that was began centuries ago, right? Mm-hmm. So this entire country is founded on anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it just gets passed down and passed down. So just like we have generational, um, generational oppression, they have generational oppressor, right? Generational colonization. 
And until there's more awareness, until we directly confront, I got a lot to say. I'm I'm gonna try not to say it because I know we're wrapping up soon. I'm just gonna say that Black History Month is getting on my nerves. Um, and it's it's not because it's the shortest month of the year. It's because it's a continual othering. Like Black History isn't American history. Like Black Americans aren't American. No, black history is not American history. But it is. Like but nothing in this country would exist without black people. But it's more. I, I think we're limiting ourselves when we say, well, it's just American history. Black uh, American history. history. Like, we, like I, Okay, so in my high school, there's a book on French history that the students study from. Okay. Uh, has France influenced the United States of America? Yes. Can we isolate the influence of France on the United States of America? Yes. Is French a culture that deserves to be studied? Yes. So we're not going to say, well, French what? history is American history. No, Wait, we're not going to do that. Why does France deserve oh. to be studied? Well, France is a great place. It does some great things. My point is, Black history, when we deal with people of the diaspora, the dispersion of people of African descent, black history is the entire world, the entire universe. When we study black history, we're studying everywhere. So to call it American history really limits it to one section where we're greater than America. We were here before the United States of America. We'll be here after the United States of America. We also exist in Brazil. We also exist in Puerto Rico. We also exist in Cuba. We also exist in Asia. We also exist in the Philippines. We also exist in Syria. We also exist in India. So to say black history is American history is minimalizing it and then saying that the term American history is better suited to study ours. Not disagreeing with you at all. But what I'm saying is we can't even get to the point where we discuss black Americans as part of regular American history. We definitely haven't gotten to the place where we can talk about it globally. We can't even mention Africa by country. <clears throat> right. When they talk about Africa, they just keep acting like it's just one place. <laughs> and it definitely isn't. And I'm going to tell you, man, I used to have this romanticized idea about a unified Africa, but nah, they have internal strife and beefs going on, you know, um, like like intertribal, whatever. Like I said, I, sh- I share with um, Shay All Day's husband, like, I, I didn't get called a blackie or a darkie until I had a conversation with, a, with an African from Nigeria where, where those racist terms, you know, came from African person is like, but where did they get me. it from? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they got it from the same colonization that we got it from. But, but, but to the point of that, and I know that's probably not what you know tonight's discussion is about. But to that point, like, you know, like, no, like, I got I, I, using my logic. I got to think that there were some things going on on the continent between other Africans 
that compelled them to even let a colonist come in and do the certain things that they've done by history to Africans yeah. that were probably disdained by certain other Africans. So I, I know we ain't even about to get into that, but but to your point of just oh. about, you know, um, us not understanding the nuanced cultural aspects of the entire continent that houses countries within that space. We just, a lot of us just want to claim the whole landmass. Like, hold on, Doc. It ain't just a monolithic and everybody's together. No, it's, it's a bit, a little bit more nuanced than we understand, you know. But I think because we are a children of the diaspora, we have this romanticized idea about, oh, Mother Africa, blah, 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 and beautiful and, and heaven. And we're like, eh. I don't know. It was, and it was, it was, and it wasn't. Because look, we're dealing with family, so I have parts of my family I love hanging with. Parts of my family I hang out with because they're family. Parts of my family I really don't rock with them. They really don't rock with me. You know, people I love. So that's going to happen everywhere. So the romanticization that you discussed is 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 part of our growing in consciousness and some of the things we're talking about is our growing in consciousness so you know trying to wrap things up tonight we were dealing with Ebonics empowerment and white supremacy we don't really talk about white supremacy because we don't have to we're talking about the other impacts of that upon us so we all agree that the use of Ebonics is valuable and I think we all agree that we need to make sure our children also learn how to use standard English. Uh, are we in agreement on that? Hey. And this is very different because a lot of our educators, a lot of our leaders used to say stupid stuff like, I speak the king's English. <laughs> they didn't know. Speak <laughs> proper. I want my you know children. better, you do better. For a long time, it would. For a long time, we had the idea that if we could just do what white people did, then we would get the respect that we deserve just for being human. And in real life, the culture we're in, again, built on anti-blackness. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you speak. It doesn't matter how. Similarly, you present yourself to white America or to the esteemed white America because it's not even all of white America. White America don't talk about uh, their own cultural differences, right? They're not a monolith either. Um, but <clears throat> for a long time, because, you know, we finally got rid of slavery technically. And so it was like, well, okay. They thought we were less than human. Let's show them that we're capable of the same things that they're capable of. Mm. And now we're at a place where we understand that that's BS. Because it doesn't matter what we do. um, There are some people who are never going to value blackness or black people or indigenous people because not only have they been taught that but they refuse to learn anything different Mm. white kids aren't doing but so much better on these tests than we are the whole country is failing true true and for some reason we 
we believe that white is right, brown, you stick around, yellow, you're mellow, if you're black, get back. We really have internalized that. We really think that our white brothers and sisters are doing so much better. And, uh, you know, when you look at the SAT scores, <laughs> the Nigerians, you know, the continental Africans that come over to America are killing everybody else. They're doing better than the Asians, which blows some people's minds. Um, the thing that's interesting is we are creative people. We've created so many things. We just need to create in a way that empowers us. And that's what we need to focus on this year. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, for the person who keeps talking about the use of the term black, we already went over that. We're not stupid. We're not talking about a crayon color. We're not talking about a nation, a city, a state called black. We're not talking civilly. We're not talking about civic terms. We're not talking about legal terms. Okay. So. (laughs) I'm sorry we have to do that every so often. How can, let's, let's wrap this up. We all agree that it's valuable. We all agree that we should be bilingual. Do we all agree that we need to focus on empowerment? Yeah, I think absolutely we have to focus on empowerment. And in terms of education, um, the late great Dr. Amos Wilson said, um, you could get the same information, but if your orientation towards that information is to be a worker or your orientation toward that information is to be a boss well you're getting two different educations you know what I mean and I think our orientation towards whatever information that comes across our path is that um we have to overthrow these oppressive institutions that we find ourselves um saddled with and really um caged in by um, and language, again, I'm a poet, so like I, I always tend towards, unless we're able to uh, clearly define the cage that we're in, we won't know how to adequately um, to dismantle it. And so, yeah, I believe I believe we can use language to empower. I believe we have to if we're looking to um, survive and not and not go the way of the dodo bird and the dinosaur because people go extinct too. People get annihilated too. You know what I'm saying? If Because they sleep and they think, again, um, they nonchalantly think people outside of their community is going to care about what they should be caring about themselves. Go back to Shay's point, our parents just taking a back seat. Hey, the, the school is supposed to do this, that, and the third. But again, these schools and these institutions, like she kept saying, set up a, 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 in terms of orientation of anti-blackness. So what do you think how do you think they're going to teach <laughs> your children? They're not going to teach your children to outpace and compete with their kids because they need their kids to be the bosses. They need your kids to be the workers. Straight like that. All right, Shay, do we agree on, on empowerment? Absolutely. Like, I feel very strongly that this, we just we gotta keep beating the drum we gotta we gotta keep talking to people like as many people as we can until it all filters everybody doesn't have to get it somebody 
um, said something very wise. They said, we just need about a third of people to get it. MLK was not popular. People weren't looking to join his cause. But he joined other people's cause and he became a center point. Not for everybody, but for a good number of people. And I think we're starting to gather momentum. And I think we have to remember the history of what happens when we gather momentum. Because we have a long history of empowering our community and getting shut down. And so I think it's very important for us to be proactive in putting in enough information, putting in enough insurance. Like, we don't have time to fight with each other. We don't have time to talk about just securing the bag. You getting rich by yourself means nothing. Because you haven't done anything to change your community. And if you think that your community isn't part of you, that's a whole... That's really what we're facing. We're facing an entire past, what, two, two and a half generations who really think that our community is just the same as every other community, which is why you hear us being compared to Asian immigrants, while you hear us being compared to other immigrant groups, while you say, oh, look at what the wealthy people are doing. This is all we need to do. Just invest in the right stock and things like that. We can't do the same thing because we're not starting from the same place. We're not the same. We're not the same culture. We're a communal culture and our success comes through community. So when we can get back to the understanding that we have to move for each other, that's that's how we keep moving forward. That's how we educate and empower Mm, good point. Good point. All right. Well, it's time to wrap up. This was the Fly Guys show, the Fly Guys podcast. We have melanated cultural conscious conversations so we can improve our situation. Uh, I'm your host, DJ Seiko Varner. We had Bashiri in the house, man. It was great having you on, brother. Blessing to be here. Thanks for having me. From 360 citizens. So, uh, Bashiria, we'll start with you and then we're going to end with a woman. Um, tell us a little bit about what Black Brand is doing and how people can support your activities. Um, Blackbrand.biz, join the movement. Uh, we're out here empowering our uh, economic entrepreneurs in the community. Um, we, we're letting it be known that we're doing great things. Um, we're not just out here making music and shaking ass, excuse my French, but we out here, we building, you know what I'm saying? And uh, like I said, check out blackbrand.biz. Uh, we're definitely community oriented, definitely education oriented. And um, we're here to grind, we're here to work. So get down with us. Yeah, get down with Black Brand. I'm a member, Queen Shay Mother, Queen Mother Shay's a member. Uh, for the record, I do like shaking. <laughs> uh, Queen Shay, tell us about what you have going on with 360 Citizens. 360 Citizens, like I said, we offer, uh, we do literacy, so we do reading tutoring. We have a fantastic reading program. 
Um, I saw a comment that said kids will learn to read on their own, which is probably true for at least 50 to 60 percent of kids if they had the time. Um, But there are some kids who need extra help. There are some kids who get taught wrong. And so we help them with that. We use that as a foundation to build our community and to just build a better community here in Hampton Roads. Please, please stay tuned to what we're doing. We will soon be offering a Black-owned business discount card for 2020, which means we will have 20 of some of the best Black-owned businesses in Hampton Roads that you can get a discount at. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, keep listening to the Fly Guy Show. Keep, uh, you know, we live visually on Crumb TV. So smash that like button. Share with your folks. Yeah, Crumb has a lot of great things happening on this platform. Look for the Fly Guy Show on your Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, whatever podcast player you use. You can listen to our old shows there. We have some great music. We have some great talks, some great discussion, and we're doing things the fly way because conscious is fly. So to everybody in the chat, I want to thank all the fly folk. I want to thank all the fly folk. I want to let them know that, oh, they, they like what you said, Bashir. That's what's up. And of course, always Queen Shay all day. And I just want to say, hey, we love you. Let's improve. Let's uplift. Stay fly. Bye. All day. All right, I hit the uh, end broadcast stay button. Fly, so stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests, unless we say we agree, unless explicitly stated. <laughs> stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Stay fly.